Welcome to Letters from the Lunchroom, a podcast by Communities and Schools of Mid-America. I'm your host, Victoria Partridge. Communities and Schools is a nationwide nonprofit which connects students and their families to local resources in order to remove barriers so that they will have greater success in school and in life. During this podcast, we talk to people who have a relationship with our organization. From students to staff members and alumni to volunteers, we know that people who connect with nonprofits have a story that led them there, and we want to know that story. Today, we are talking with Iowa State Representative Ross Smith. We asked Ross to join us in the lunchroom as he previously worked for Communities and Schools as a site coordinator for one of our sites in Waterloo, Iowa. After becoming the state representative for Iowa House District 62, he transitioned to a consultant role with our organization. During our conversation, Ross and I talk about what it was like to move out of a site coordinator role and into a consultant role. He also talked about where his inspiration comes from, and he shares some inspiration of his own. Please stay tuned as we head into the lunchroom. And welcome to the lunchroom, Ross. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yes. Well, thank you so much for taking some time out. I know that you are a super busy guy, and we will go into more detail about that here in a little bit. Um, have you ever done a podcast before? I have. I've done quite a few. Ooh, you're so a pro. I love it. <laughs> awesome. Something like that. Cool. Well, um, this podcast is about people who are connected with communities and schools, and uh, that's why we brought you on here, because you are indeed connected with communities and schools. So where I want to start is, what first got you connected with us? Well, I think um, early on in my professional career, you know, I've always had to find an opportunity to be uh, more proactive, not reactive, uh, specifically regarding like, barriers to youth success. Uh, so prior to my uh, being a site coordinator, um, at Carver Academy here in Waterloo with communities and schools. I worked for juvenile court systems in Four Oaks. I worked with a program that uh, took young men specifically who had served typically 12 to 18 months um, in a secure facility, a juvenile detention facility, and worked on really integrating them back into the community. Um, and what I found is that even through our hard work, we were still really reactive. Um, it really took for a young person to have a severe offense before we were work, before we were willing to put in place some supports to help them be successful. Uh, so for me, communities and schools was a great opportunity to really be proactive and figure out how we can put some supports in place uh, before a student reaches the, the juvenile justice system or before they've uh, reached a level to where they, they fail out of school. So really it was about the, the ability to be more proactive. So. Um, I saw a posting for a site coordinator position with communities and schools, and the rest is kind of history. So did you know about communities and schools before you saw that posting for the job position? I did not. It was actually something brand new to me. I had, it wasn't on my radar at all, besides actually my graduate uh, thesis. So I was going through, and uh, I did my, my graduate thesis for a master's degree over using informal education practices in a formal school setting. And Communities and Schools was one of three organizations that was referred to throughout uh, various amounts of literature. So I would see the name pop up, but it was never something that I guess I specifically thought about 
seeking for employment. Um, a lot of it was referring to things that were done in Virginia and New York um, and Oklahoma or even Kansas, but nothing was in Iowa specifically. So I had heard of it a little bit, but never thought of it as a real career opportunity for myself. That's really interesting. So did you find that you used, that you ended up using any of the information that you had found during your research as you actually did your job as a site coordinator? Oh, definitely. Almost uh, in step, step for step. Um, because with, with community and schools, one of the things that I really love about our model is that we do use a lot of informal education practices to help support our students and our teachers and even our school buildings as a whole. Um, you know, what communities and school does regarding bringing in support to our schools is really cutting edge. Um, and at the time when I was doing my graduate studies, I was even more so cutting edge than five years ago. So for me, it's, it was really interesting to figure out a lot of, see a lot of the parallels from things that I've been researching and reading in articles um, to see and be able to put those in place really day one when I stepped into the school building. So that was really, really cool to see um, because a lot of times theory doesn't always match practice, mm -hmm. but in this case, theory directly aligned with some of the best practices of community and schools. Very cool. Wow. Okay. Man, this is awesome. We're just like digging right into it right from the get-go. Look at all this stuff I'm already learning about you. Okay, so then you became a site coordinator. And how long were you a site co coordinator over there at Carver Middle School? I was at Carver Middle School for about three and a half years. And you're no longer a site coordinator. So would you like I'm to tell not. us what you are doing now? So I'm currently serving as the Iowa Consultant for Community and Schools of Mid-America, in which I do grant writing, community relationships, um, reach out to make sure that the community that I serve is more informed about what communities and schools does for our students and how they can support, uh, whether financially or just through volunteering, uh, making sure that community and schools is more visible in the community and to the students and parents that we serve. And why did you switch from being a site coordinator to a consultant? Yeah, so um, after my first, I want to say about a year, year and a half of communities and schools, um, I got the opportunity to run for elected office as a state representative for the district in which I served as a site coordinator for. Um, and after about two years, two cycles in the legislature, um, I found that the transition from leaving the Capitol in Des Moines and coming back into the school setting uh, was difficult, not only for myself, but for our students. Um, one thing that we know is consistency is key. So it was really hard to have that same consistency when I would leave in January and then not come back until sometimes the middle of May and have three weeks to really wrap up the school year, collect my data, check in with my students and make sure that they had stayed on the same trajectory. And I started to see that there were changes in our data. My students would do really, really well during that first semester, but there was a lapse, right? There was no continuity from when I, when I left and I, I would come back. So um, it was a decision that, you know, I spoke with some of the administration with communities and schools and, was given the opportunity to still be a part of the organization and really still help push forward our mission, mm -hmm. um, but just do it from a little bit of a different avenue. Yeah, that's awesome. And I know that because Iowa, we only have two sites, Communities and Schools of Mid-America currently only has two sites in Iowa, um, and you guys are geographically Correct. just kind of a, a little bit distant um, from sort of like the main hub of sites that we have. So I think it's actually probably a really great addition to have, uh, you know, you acting there as a consultant and just having another person of support in the area. Oh, definitely. So, and I think one, one thing that I, I really give community and schools a lot of credit for is um, 
understanding that as individuals we grow and professionally you know over the course of time sometimes we, we accentuate certain strengths and things that we were really good at a few years back uh, maybe we're still good at but maybe our strengths lie in other places so uh, this has allowed me the opportunity to really utilize some strengths that i've really uh, worked on over the past couple of years regarding building community relationships and knowing that's more conducive and it can be more supportive of our mission as an organization maybe not being school-based so much anymore, but helping work through some of the things that we've struggled with regarding that distance, that proximity from the main hub of a lot of our sites to working kind of remotely to build those relationships and really kind of bridge that gap between uh, where our headquarters are in, in Kansas and with the work that we're doing here in Iowa. Mm -hmm. Well, and I wanted to ask how, how that sort of has changed your life because being a site coordinator, as you know, is, it, I mean, it's more than just a job. It's, it's, a, a way of life. Um, and the things that you're Definitely doing is. as you as a site coordinator are very different than it sounds like the responsibilities that you have as a consultant. So if you don't mind sharing kind of how has your life changed since changing those roles with the organization? It's definitely different. I think I, I really, at times I really miss the school atmosphere. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I, I turned 31 in December and, um, sometimes I think my age is the inverse. Um, you know, I, I really like working in a middle school uh, with with that demographic. It, it helps to you know keep me up to date with things that they're struggling with uh, from year to year because that does change. Um, at the same time, you know, a school is always moving. There's something different. Every school is their own different microcosm. So uh, that's the part I miss the most. I think is is being school based. But I can say that I do have more time with my family now, which is really important. I have a two year old and a six year old. Um, so for me, it does give me a, a little bit better of a work-life balance. I'm understanding that as a legislator and um, this year being added to a leadership role at the Capitol, that is more of a time commitment. Mm -hmm. So understanding that, you know, with this new role, I have the ability to be more flexible, um, have a more of a work-life balance, which is awesome. As a site coordinator, we know our, our typical office hours are um, during the school day, but a lot of times that does change. Um, I, I, I'd be hard... I think we'd be hard pressed to find any site coordinator that works a probably solid 40 every week. Mm -hmm. Even though we try to, we understand that sometimes the needs of our building go beyond that and we're willing to do whatever it takes to help our students be successful. Yeah. To be a site coordinator, you definitely have to be somebody who is comfortable and open with having a flexible schedule to really do whatever it takes. And, you know, we, I know that we all focus on trying to maintain a really positive balance between work life and home life. Um, but I can definitely understand how even just having a change in responsibilities can, you know, depending on who you are and what you've been doing can really help aid the, the balance that you're trying to get. Well, definitely. So it's a beautiful grind. You know, it really, it really is. But it hasn't really changed my mission personally. I think that's one thing that I really like about the organization is that I align so much personally with our mission is. So while I'm not in the school anymore, it doesn't change the things that I really want to work on. Um, it's just a different avenue, a different way of going about it yeah, now. Yeah, 100% understand and uh, agree with you because that is one of the things you mentioned earlier on that you feel like Communities and Schools of Mid-America is this type of organization that is open to evolving and growth. And um, in the same kind of uh, conversation, you mentioned how we tend to really allow people to um, use their strengths to do the work 
that they want to with us. And I think that that's so true. Um, we really do. We, we hire these people that have great strengths and passions and allow them to use them in their best way to kind of construct a program that supports students in their school and in their communities to the best of their own abilities. And I think that that's a really unique thing for this organization. But I also think it's one of the things that makes us really successful. I, I definitely agree. So you mentioned that you miss being in the middle school, and I wanted to take the opportunity to see if you wouldn't mind sharing some of your favorite success stories or favorite CIS memories. Oh, man, there's so many. Um, I think one of, one of my favorite success stories, um, there was a student who really excelled um, athletically and academically and really wanted to figure out how we can get the best out of both worlds. And, um, you know, I worked in a building that across the state um, has been one of the lower or lowest achieving middle schools in the state of Iowa, um, which means that sometimes, you know, we don't always shed light on the great things and the great programs that we have going on. But for this specific student, um, it was the ability to go out and, and see that the student was multi-talented and get them enrolled in not only advanced courses, but also get them in some programming outside of school that dealt with athletics to help that student make sure they could achieve in both things that they were interested in. Um, so this student was one that we considered to be twice exceptional. So one of the, my favorite things was working with the staff and the, the, the teachers and administration in the school building to connect that student with additional resources to really see them flourish. And now um, they've gone on and now they're in college, <laughs> which is kind of bizarre to me because they were in eighth grade at the time and now they've, they've graduated and she's going to college and really has flourished academically and athletically. So for me, I think that's one of the things that we don't always get to see the fruit um, of the labor that we put in as site coordinators. But I think for me, being from this community, I'm able to kind of follow students as they go off and come back and do great things. So for me, that's one of the, the most fulfilling, rewarding things. Um, also, some of the small day-to-day -day tasks. Um, I, my counterpart here in Iowa uh, is Dina, who works over at Central. And we have very different styles. And I remember the first time I took a family to get groceries and put gas in their car because they were moving. And when I walked out and I saw their car was full of all their belongings. Um, and the biggest concern wasn't what they were going to do with all their stuff. It was the fact that when they moved in, they used all their resources to purchase a new place um, in a better community for their students to be or for their children to be successful. So going to the store with that family and buying, you know, groceries and things that we would typically consider minimal, but to them made a world of difference, um, really changed my perspective on the work that we that we did. And it's something that Dina was like, once you do it once, mm -hmm. that feeling, you know, to really help somebody, it's 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 nothing else like it. So um, I give her a lot of credit for that because it was something that I was always focused on the resources, connecting people to resources. But sometimes we're able to be that specific resource and do something that we take for granted every day, but can make a world of change for that family. So a little bit different. Uh, one's more, I guess, intrinsic how I felt about it. And one is how I made other people feel. But at the same time, I think that's the crux of the work that we do, because if we're doing it right, it's really hard some days, but the work that we put in feels really, really good and it's really rewarding. And I mean, there's, there's nothing you can replace that feeling with. No, you're so right. Um, it reminds me of that quote about um, how people, what is it, how's it go? People won't remember exactly what you did, but they'll remember how you made them feel. Exactly. Yeah. 
Exactly. And I also want to point out um, and just kind of shed some additional detail on the the success story, essentially, of what you just shared with us about purchasing these resources for families. Um because I know that people who are listening to this podcast may not always understand the vast amount of help that we can provide. It's not just for students, but it's for students and their families. And so by helping this family get gas and food, you're helping the student because like you said, they were relocating their students, their kids, so that they would be in an area where they would have greater access to education or access to a better education. Um, Exactly. And it's so important because had they not had that additional support, then the student themselves would not be able to get access to the better education that their family wanted for them. Oh, definitely. So it's a domino effect. You know, we, you buy groceries for family and you put gas in the car. Now you've, you've knocked down five barriers with one hour, you know, one, one act in an hour. You know, you go get groceries and gas. Now that parent is able to get their, their student to school. They're also closer proximity to daycare for the younger siblings. Mm-hmm we've already taken away two risk factors in one small act. Mm. And, you know, the, anytime we can decrease risk factors, we increase the, the uh, possibility of that student being successful, which is our main goal. So it, it really is really rewarding to see. And I think the more we think about things holistically, we can see how that little deed has a great impact down the road. Yeah, um, absolutely. And one of the things that I, you were sharing some really great stories, but it made me jot down a little note. So one of the stories that I really think it's important for people to hear, and I suspect that you have this kind of story available to share, is the story of a student who has overcome a great barrier or a great number of barriers. Oh, definitely. So um, there's, there's quite a few, I think, of a student who um, I, I worked with initially one of my first students actually, and you know there were there was some change in our healthcare system here uh, in, in Iowa, and this student really lost the ability to attend school for a little while. Um, they they lived you know not with their natural parents, but they lived with grandmother, and they lost grandma's in-home nurse, which means that the student had to choose between coming to school every day or staying home and taking care of grandmother who wasn't able to take care of herself. And how old was this student? This student, I believe, was a sixth grader, oh so goodness. 12 years old. Oh my goodness. And, you know, for, for me, I was thinking, wow, okay, we always talk about, especially in our community, families first, right? And that's always, you know, what we preach is our families come first. So with that being the case, this student had to make a really difficult decision, one that as adults I think we struggle to make if we're put in the circumstance. But what we were able to do is say, you know, we understand the circumstance that you are in right now. So what we're going to do is we're going to bring school to you. Um, every couple of days, we're going to bring your homework and your books to your house. And if you have questions, call and we'll pick up your homework and bring it back until we can figure out a way to navigate this system. And that student has gone on to, you know, is, is in, we'll be done with high school here. Uh, I'm sorry, we'll be entering high school and we'll be doing really good things. So I'm, I'm excited to see what the path uh, shows for them, because if you can overcome that, you can overcome almost anything. So just the fact to wrap your mind around and to be so mature at 12 years old about this is where I'm at and this is how I need to take control of my life and my education. How can you help me? Mm -hmm. And it's rare that we're challenged with that as site coordinators. A lot of times we're pulling information from a student to figure out or, you know, trying to make sure this support works and checking this support and doing some progress monitoring 
on this thing that we've put in place. But this student was willing to come and say, hey, this is where I am. I need your help to be successful. How can you help me? Um, and, and for me, that was that showed a lot of leadership, a lot of strength. And how do we nurture that? And I'm excited to see the work that they'll do in the community. Um, I have a, a inkling that maybe one of these days, uh, that individual probably will sit in my seat at the Capitol and, and help lead our community into the future because that takes some initiative and some strength that if I had it at 12 years old, I, I, I'm not sure where I'd be, but I, I, I know uh, great things would come from that. Oh my gosh. Wow. Well, you know, definitely uh, keep us posted on how that that student continues on. Um, Cause I, I bet you're right. They sound like they're destined for great things. And I'm so glad that we were able yeah, to provide so. them with that support. Cause man, being faced with that kind of challenge after a while, I'm sure that student would have been considering, you know, giving up on one of them. Oh, definitely. So and we can't have that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we are going to take a quick break and then we will be back with a second serving of letters from lunchroom. So stay tuned. Welcome back. As part of our show, we ask each guest to write a letter to the students that communities and schools serves. The only guideline they are given is that it must come from the heart. So without further ado, here is Roz Smith reading his letter to CIS students everywhere. So one of the hardest things to be in this world is yourself. Being yourself sounds simple enough, but once you add in outside influences, influences of like social media or what your peer groups expect of you, it can be difficult. But the most important thing is figuring out who you are and what that's rooted in. Um, the best starting block for this is understanding your values. What are the things that as you move throughout your life, you don't see changing? Uh, for me, it was being an includer. I, I really don't like when people feel left out. And at times, it's, for me, it's about being radically inclusive. Um, secondly, it's okay to be good at the things that you're good at, whether it's sports or the arts or math or even all of the above. Take pride in what you do well. You'll find that sometimes it's not popular or people may not always support you in the things that you thrive at. This doesn't mean that you need to stop. Your strengths are uniquely you, and it's important that you nurture what you do well, especially things that make you feel good about yourself. Lastly, it's okay to be different from other people. It's normal to not be normal, but it's vital that you surround yourself with friends that allow you and even support you in being who you are. The best version of you is the greatest gift that you can give. The world will try to mold you into many different things, some good, some bad. Take what you can from all your experiences, but always stay true to who you are because the world benefits most when you're uniquely and wonderfully you. Thank you. That's so cool. Um, one of the things that I find constantly interesting, because we keep recording this podcast, which, you know, is the plan. And I keep asking people to write letters and they do. And all of them end up being so unique. But what I'm finding out is that they tend to really show kind of like what the author's like high priority values are. And so as I'm listening to your letter and you're talking about being yourself and being authentic and um, really embracing the things that make you, you. I love it. I think it's so great, especially for our students who are going through so many challenges and 
you know, whenever you're a kid, oh my gosh, middle school, which is where exactly. you used to work in middle school is like the most difficult time to be yourself because everything just feels so weird. It really is. I hope they listen to your letter and I hope that they hear it. So did you have middle schoolers in mind whenever you wrote that letter? I did. I had middle schoolers in mind and myself as a middle school kid. Um, my upbringing was pretty, pretty unique. Um, I come from a lower to, I guess it, it depends. We, we were considered middle class for our neighborhood. But once I got outside of our neighborhood, I found out that we were not middle class. So, <laughs> um, but, you know, my older brother went to, was in the water school system for a while and got into some trouble. And I kind of followed those same footsteps until about fifth grade. And as a fifth grader, my mother decided that she was going to move me out of a school district in a, in a specifically uh, uh, school boundaries that was a majority African-American, um, lower socioeconomic status, but everybody that I knew when I lived in that community and moved me to a public private institution in which I was one of only a few minorities in the school as a whole, a complete paradigm shift for me. And it was really hard for me to figure out who I was. Um, one 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 situation was telling me I was something completely different than the other circumstance. And that was in the course of a day. You know, I would wake up in the morning on the east side of Waterloo and go to school in Cedar Falls and do sports and activities and, and make relationships there and then come back to the east side of Waterloo and deal with some of the challenges that it, that this community poses. And as I grew older and kind of developed and found myself, I found that I wasn't firmly either. I was that mesh of both worlds. Um, and even now in the legislature, you know, I'm, I'm the one of the younger members of the General Assembly. Um, and, you know, I, I wear earrings. I, sometimes I rock my gold chain and my tattoos are out and people don't know what to expect. But in order for me to do the job that I do for my community to the best of my ability, I have to be uniquely me. And sometimes that means at the Capitol, you can find me, you know, flossing in the background, <laughs> thinking about what I want to say on the floor or deep in thought or reading a book, whatever it may be. But in order to, to, to really do the job the way I, I can do it well, I have to be myself. And sometimes that doesn't fit in any box. And that's okay. Um, because if, if, if we put ourselves in that box, then that means that we're, we're willing to constrain ourselves. We're willing to really set limits. And I don't think that's uh, fertile ground for any, for any growth. So for students, I want them to understand that, hey, it's okay to be different it's okay to sometimes be the eyeball out you know if everybody's swimming one direction maybe you're right if you're swimming the other and that's okay that, that's so incredibly inspiring and I don't know if it's uh going to be you know just like generally inspiring to anybody who hears it but for me personally it's it's hitting me really hard um because I know that that's something I've struggled with um is finding that balance of fitting in the box and um maintaining what I expect are other people's expectations of myself, which is awful and yes. brings you into a path of unhappiness. And that was, you know, the vast majority mm -hmm. of it started in middle school, went all the way through high school, continued on through my early twenties. And it honestly was not until the birth of my daughter in my mid twenties, whenever I started sort of taking ownership of my own unique identity and ever since I had her, I've yeah. just continued to grow and grow that ownership and um, just kind of fall in love with the unique aspects that I bring to the table. And because of that, I have had you know a greater increase in my happiness, but also I've seen more success in my life. Exactly. I think that's the that's the most beautiful thing about it is, is that when we when we do find ourselves and it is like kind of that, that sweet spot. 
that we do find that we flourish in things that we really care about. And specifically having children is one thing that I definitely have noticed has made a difference for me, you know, um, in, in the world that we live in, you know, it's, it's hard to, to be yourself. And my, my daughters are biracial and I don't want them to ever feel as though they're in a situation where you have to pick who they are. They are who they are uniquely them and that they can be successful and flourish being that um, even if the world is not always accepting of who they are. And that doesn't mean they need to change. Um, it just means that they need to understand that they need to be more of themselves and, and, you know, be build up some protective factors to surround themselves with people who are okay with who they are. And I think once you do that and the earlier you can start to do that process, the more benefit you have to, to, you know, the more benefit to yourself. And I think that's something that as middle school kids in 2019 have to start that process now because it's so easy to become lost in this world. It's so easy to be tricked into thinking you're something you're not. And eventually it does have real mental health ramifications and physical health ramifications. And for me, I understand what that's like. And I, I, if I can help anybody through just telling them, be happy with who you are and I can help you be more of yourself any, any way that I can, I think that's huge, you know? And for us as human beings, that's like the most innately human thing there is, is to love each other for who we are. But as you kind of mentioned earlier, sometimes it can be really terrifying, especially if you're just starting at, like if you're just at the beginning of, of showing who you are. And so I think it's really important, like you said, to do it earlier on in your life. And I know also something that I think is important is that sometimes you're not entirely sure, you know, you kind of have yes. to do some kind of trial and error and, you know, try on this hat and see if that fits right or try on this other hat and see if that fits right. And Oh, and push yourself outside of your comfort zone. I think that's really important too. And we actually talked about that um, in the last podcast that I did. I was recording with um, Sarah Stockerbrand, who's a site coordinator in Chanute High School, and um, a student, Darcy Marshall, who just won the Tyler Gerhart Memorial Scholarship. And so we talked about how important it is to push yourself outside of your comfort zone because you learn so much about yourself, not only your interests and your passions, but also your strengths. And it's really amazing. Oh, it's, it's, it's so awesome. And it's a continual process. I think the Ross two years ago or three years ago was very different from, from the man I am now. Um, doesn't mean that I've changed who I am. It just means I've evolved a bit. And, mm-hmm. you know, things that are, are more interesting, are more interesting to me now, maybe they weren't then. I mean, I've never thought I would actually be an elected official or a politician, per se. It's something I was never on my radar. I mean, I was kind of like anti-every establishment. So <laughs> and now... I work for the government, which is so interesting. So whenever you were growing up, what did you think that your future would be like? Honestly, I didn't know. I was just, to be 100% transparent with you, um, I didn't know if I would be incarcerated at some point in my life, but I anticipated that being a a factor. I anticipated going through that process. Um, One of my main goals in high school was to graduate high school, you know, without having a child. Mm -hmm. You know, my my sister had her, her daughter when she was 19, my brother... Um, had his, his his first kid when he was graduating high school. So for me, those are some of the some of the things that I set for myself as goals was to hey get through high school um, without having a child and without going to jail, um, go to college if you're able to. But that was honestly something that I thought was not attainable. So I didn't really know where I was going to end up. I thought at the end of the day and and working that in that factory, and that was pretty much it. And as things started to unfold for me and people started to really breathe life into me and show and you know kind of demonstrate to me that I do have strength and I do have worth that I really started to kind of invest in myself and, and take things more seriously and eventually somebody saw something in me that I didn't see in myself and gave me an opportunity 
to run for office um, because I am sometimes a dissenter. I, I don't like the norm always. And it's kind of catapulted my life into where I am now, where, you know, I'm the ranking member for the House Education Committee, I'm the chairman of the Iowa Black Caucus. Um, I'm part of the Iowa House leadership team. So all these things have really come from people investing in me and me really taking advantage of being who I am and, and identifying my strength because other people have seen value in me. That's phenomenal. True success story. So um, <laughs> I know that was kind of cheesy, but it was true. Um, so one of the questions that I have now is as you were growing up and you mentioned that, you know, your environment had changed where you were getting your education from. Did you have somebody in your life that sort of, was kind of that main per person that changed the direction, whether it be a family member or somebody at the school or, you know, kind of like a mentor or something? I, I did. So I was, a, you know, I've been blessed enough to have both parents in the household, which is something a lot of people from my community don't have. Um, but outside of that, it, at, when, I, when I transitioned from the Waterloo schools to, to uh, the laboratory school in Cedar Falls, I remember Miss Olson. And I transferred schools at a really awkward time. Um, in the Waterloo School District, we were learning just, you know, rudimentary math, the basic stuff. But the school I transferred to, they were already doing this process called integrated math, very different way to teach some of the same math skills, but the polar opposites. And I remember Miss Miss Olson would keep me after school every day. She'd pop a couple bags of popcorn, and from about three o'clock until five thirty, she would make sure that I was not going to fail math. Um, you know, she would call my mom and they'd have conversations. And at 530, my mom would come pick, would be outside waiting for me. And Miss Johnson, Miss Olson would stay with me every day, making sure I got it. And even once I was confident in my math skills, she would still work with me and just build the relationship that to this day, I, I do, I credit her with a lot of things. One is I'm not very good at math, but I know how to try hard at it. I know how to try hard at different things and not take failure as failure, but take it as, okay, I'm, I'm failing forward. I'm learning something from this process and I'll get better next time. Um, secondly, one of my best friends to this day was in that class with me um, and had some of the same struggles with math. So every day, you know, when I, when I was at this new school, I didn't know anybody. I built a pretty quick relationship because I was able to work with this individual or something that we both found really stressful every day after school. And eventually she was a catalyst for, for me uh, meeting my wife and, and, you know, the person who I intend to spend the rest of my life with. So that's, that was really interesting that it came kind of full circle that way. But definitely Miss Olsen was somebody who refused to let me fail. Um, no matter how hard it was for me, she made sure that I was going to get it, uh, whether I liked it or not. She was going to make sure she was there for me and make sure I was going to be successful. Does she know the impact that she's had on your life? You know, if she doesn't, I need to make sure I tell her because yeah. I've, I've, I think I've used her as an example so many different times because she's somebody who it, it, I don't know where she got that strength from because I was not easy to, you know, to deal with at that point. I wanted to not be at that school. I wanted to go back to where people looked like me and, and things were relative to what I was used to. And regardless of what I did, regardless of how much trouble I got into, regardless of, you know, how many books I threw off my desk because I couldn't get it. She had me pick it back up, turn back to that page, and get back to work. And to me, I, I, I just, there's very few people 
who I've met in my life who have that ability to persevere when you tell them, no, I don't want to be successful for myself. She goes, it's not about you. I want you to be successful. So I'm going to keep pushing you to do it. Regardless of how you feel about it, I'm going to keep pushing you to be the best you you can be. And, you know, you don't come across that very often. So I, I didn't make sure I reached back out to her. So thank you for the reminder, because sometimes it's good for people to know the impact that they've had on yeah, you. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. You can always send her a link to the podcast. Oh, I definitely will. I definitely will. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we are going to take another quick break and then we will be back with some extra credit. All right, Ross, we like to wrap up each episode with the opportunity to earn some extra credits. Are you ready to answer just a few more questions before we let you go for the day? Definitely so. Okay, first question. If you had a superpower, what would it be and why? Oh, man, superpower. Hmm. I think I would like the ability to kind of like read your mind, kind of like Professor X. I think I would like, I think that I would like that superpower. Not not because I want to know what people are thinking all the time, but I would like to be able to, to empathize more deeply with people who are very different than me. I would like to know uh, what sometimes what they're, what, what's going through their heads if we have conversations that are that are different. Um, that way, I can be a better support system. I can I can understand uh, more holistically and then approach things in in, in, a, in a better way. I think. Um, being a site coordinator and uh, uh, working in the political realm, there are a lot of things that cross over. And a lot of that is how you communicate with people. And it's really hard to be an effective communicator if you don't understand where they're coming from. So I, I think the, the ability to kind of read other people's minds and get a sense of where they're coming from will really help me to better serve and the people in my community um, politically and as a support to those people who want to help them be successful. I actually think that if if there was just like an overall um, ability for kind of like everybody on the planet to have at least a smidgen of that superpower, that it would make the world a better place. Yes. Just a smidgen though. I don't want a whole just lot. Just a smidgen. You know? no, just no, a no. smidgen. I don't want the whole thing. <laughs> no, that would be overwhelming. <laughs> overwhelming for sure. Okay. So the second question is what is one place or time period that you wish you could visit and why? Oh man. Um, there's quite a few, but I think I would like to go back to like ancient Greece. Um, I love philosophy, and I believe uh, there's a saying by Socrates that the only fit life for a Greek is a life of leisure. So it's a time where you spent your whole day learning about art and culture, um, music. Your your leisure time was spent learning and trying to pursue virtue. And for me, I think I would love to go back to the time where we're at the crux of our knowledge, really gaining a lot of information that we utilize today. Um, I think being pioneers of intellect it will be something that would be awesome to experience and see, you know, the first time we were able to map out the distance from Earth to the moon or the first time we're able to, to write down music on paper. And th those different things to me are kind of fascinating. I, I would love to see what that time period was like. I'd also um, 
wish I was born during the civil rights movement. Oh. I think it'd been awesome to, to, to be there and meet some of those leaders and, 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 you know, go through the good and the bad because mm-hmm. in, t- in today's society, we, you know, we have to take heed of where we come, where we've come from. So we don't make some of the same mistakes then. And I think what better lesson than to go back and learn some of those skills and some of those tactics. Yeah, absolutely. Final extra credit question. What is the number one reason why you feel that people should get involved with communities and schools? Oh man, I think the, the work that, that communities and schools does is imperative. I mean, it literally is one of the only organizations that's willing to do whatever it takes to help a student be successful. Um, and it's so multifaceted. I think there's something for everybody. You can always get involved and volunteer, whether it be at a CIS event, whether it be uh, being on on the board, uh, whether it be donating to the schools. I, I think it's important that people do understand how they can help support their communities. It doesn't take a lot of time. You don't have to have a lot of money to do it. Um, you just have to be willing to, to, to step out and, and lend a hand out. And our CIS site coordinators and our staff from the top to the bottom all share the same focus of making sure that students and their families are able to be successful in removing barriers. And uh, what better mission than that? So true. And it's not just, um, you know, there in Iowa, where th- the CIS of Mid-America is a multi-state network. We're here. Exactly. In Can- I'm sitting here in Kansas. You're there in Iowa. Um, we're also in Missouri and Oklahoma. And if you happen to be listening to this podcast somewhere else in the United States, we are all throughout the United States, just under different communities and schools names, but always communities and schools. Um, and if you happen to be outside of the States and you still want to help out, just go to CISMidAmerica.org and you can check out ways to donate, or maybe you can connect us with somebody who would like more information on how they could support our, our organization here in the States. That's my little pitch. <laughs> <laughs> it was good. It was good. Thank you. Okay. So I think we're going to wrap up today's episode. Ross, I'm going to thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to talk with me and let me pick your brain and just kind of, you know, be a little nosy and learn more about you. It was really, really fun. Oh, no problem at all. Thank you for the opportunity. It's, it's awesome to be able to do this. And I, I love communities and schools, and I'll keep supporting any any way that I possibly can. So thank you for the opportunity to be here. You got it. So for more information on communities and schools of Mid-America, I mentioned our website earlier. I'm going to mention it again. Please check us out at cismidamerica.org. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast and follow us on social media at CIS Mid-America. I hope you've all enjoyed this episode of Letters from the Lunchroom. I'm your host, Victoria Partridge, and until next time, class is dismissed. <laughs>